This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. And welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. In today's show we're focused on photography and we'll hear from two local contemporary photographers about their approach to their art. But first, here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with an update on the art scene in Dunedin and beyond. This is a Snapshot. Ross, you've been on the road recently. Tell us what you've seen. Well, if you're heading to Christchurch, take a break at the Ashburton Gallery, where there's a group exhibition of Dunedin artists until June 19. The show is called Gift, and it explores the acts of giving through the lens of works of art. In the case of Rachel Hope Allen, it really is through her lens. Allen's love of Japan is a key theme here, and her photography explores the complex culture of gift-giving. Other artists in the show include Madison Kelly, Matera Touré and Dr Margot Barton. Also at the Ashburton Gallery is a show by Ewan McDougall, Freed Up and Lockdown. Impish, otherworldly and at times joyous with an edge, these oils will set you up for the not-so-joyous trip through to Christchurch. Rachel's Japan-inspired show at the RDS Gallery continues until June 18. Don't miss these works from this talented photographer. Indeed, and we'll be hearing more from Rachel later in the show. What else is on at RDS, Ross? Well, a group show follows at RDS from June the 24th, and included in the show are two standout artists from the 2021 site show. Pippi Miller is completing her Masters of Fine Arts, and Hemi Hoskins is also completing his Master's degree at the Dunedin School of Art, and he specialises in graffiti, topography and screen printing. It's great to see emerging local artists getting early exposure. I believe the Olga Gallery in Moray Place also has some June shows connected to the Dunedin School of Art. Yes, lecturer Michael Greaves' show continues until June 8th, and Hannah Joint School of Art graduate and now senior lecturer teaching drawing and visual arts and design will follow. Hannah describes painting as the lens through which she views her world. Her early works were vivid pastel landscapes but she's since moved to oils. Her last exhibition in Olga was The Absurd, and the content lived up to the title. Expect some whimsical surprises in her latest exhibition, Grass All the Greener. Michael O'Kane shows at the Moray Gallery from June the 1st to the 11th. Mike's work is unique in that he uses painted plastic figurines and he combines them with his conventional painting and photography, using Photoshop to create surreal scenes. From July the 14th onwards, Richard Colleen is showing at the Brett McDowell Gallery. Colleen is known for his thematic cut-out works that hang in any order. These can be on aluminium, cardboard, canvas or plywood. The viewers and effect are invited to make their own associations and stories as they make sense of the collections. A fabulous range of options there, Ross. What's happening further south? Well, some good news for the south. The Eastern Southland Art Gallery in Gore is showing selected works from the recent Te Papa Rita Angus retrospective. If you missed it in Wellington, why not see it in Gore instead? You have until July the 17th. And I believe there's a whole new set of shows also on at DPAG. 
Yes, a series of new exhibitions at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery opens on May the 28th. It's already open through to October the 28th. There is something for everyone. The entrance to the gallery is transformed, inviting you on an imaginary journey. Please don't feed the rabbit. I actually wanted to sit on the rabbit. It looks like a massive beanbag, oh, but naughty. I was discouraged from that course of action. Jim and Mary Barr, collectors of mainly New Zealand contemporary art, loaned a significant part of their collection to the Dunedin Public Art Gallery 25 years ago as they downsized their houses. Artists in this collection have selected works for this show called On the Table. Another show, In, On and Over, offers insights into abstract art by exploring different approaches. Oliver Perkins' exhibition, A Kind of Arrow, is a visual exchange between artist, material and space. His work is also on the big wall of the gallery foyer. Well, thanks, Ross. I think I'm going to have to take a week off work to do the rounds of all of those (laughs) fabulous exhibition options. So now it's time for our feature item. In today's show, we're zooming in on the art of photography. I'll be speaking with two established photographers who work in Dunedin, but have travelled the globe in search of the perfect picture. Our first guest is Murray Eskdale. Murray is an art photographer who picked up a camera as a small boy living in Reading, UK, and hasn't put it down since. Murray, welcome to Sightlines. Thank you, Sally. Glad to be here. Do you remember how old you were when you took your first photo? Um, I believe I was probably about six years old. Um, my dad was a keen photographer and um, he had a lot of cameras around when we were younger. I think I even remember my first photographic project, which was uh, my parents were getting some landscaping done in the garden and I did a, like a documentation of um, from beginning to end how the, um, the building went in the garden and I made a little scrapbook. That is that. very cool. So you've, you've got photography in your blood and you subsequently studied at both Watford and Reading. What did your formal training focus on, Murray? Well, there was a lot of uh, technical training. So it was you know, how to use a camera and um, I was studying with people who wanted to be fashion photographers and commercial photographers. I took a different path from them. I specialised in uh, photography as an art form and um, so I went down that path Mm. um, instead. So being a wedding photographer held no particular allure for Murray? Not really. I'm not not big on people photography. No. Um, I do do a little bit of it for friends and some work. It's it's required. Mm. Mm. Um, But generally, um, I prefer kind of urban spaces and architecture as a subject. Right, yeah. So tell us about what brought you to New Zealand and Dunedin. Well, I like to tell people I came here on holiday and that I'm still here on holiday. Uh, I think 15 years later. That's a long holiday, Murray. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was there anything in particular about the Dunedin art scene that attracted you? Because, you know, obviously you have stayed a long time. Yeah, so absolutely. So there must have been something um, that lured you in. Yeah, exactly. Um, came here travelling um, on a sort of an OE with a friend and we travelled all over New Zealand and we knew that the second part of our travel would be working and Dunedin seemed like a good sized city and there was a lot of arts happening and I thought I could find work and um, eventually I did so I've been here ever since. And stay you did. 
So Mary, you mentioned before that your preferred subject matter is the urban landscape and that's a genre that you developed a preference for before you came here and one I think that originates in Europe. Tell us more about that. Yes, well, when I was at college um, in Reading, I studied um, the Dusseldorf School of Photography, uh, which was started by Bernd and Hiller Becker. Um, and they they made um, industrial and architectural themes into artwork. So they did photographs of gas towers and water towers um, and architectural buildings and um, urban scenes. So they made that into an art form and that's what really started me mm. doing that kind of work. And I think it was further popularised by Andreas Guski. Was he from the same school as the Beckers? Yeah, he studied under the, the Beckers and um, he brought more technological advances into the photography just because mm. he was later, digital was coming in, so he had use of all the new technology to make bigger, grander photographs. Yes, because yeah. I think he specialised, didn't he, in quite large large format architecture and with landscape yeah. colour yeah. photos. He used large format, um, which inspired me to do large format as mm. well. Because mm. yeah. in your own work is also, I see, often quite large scale and the architectural subject matter is often buildings that all of us walk past every day but perhaps don't consider to be art. And you had a perspective exhibition at RDS in January of this year which showcased some examples of that. Can you tell us more about that? Um, yeah, well, I think I'm always looking for a good composition. And um, scale adds to the impact of the work. And I'm trying to make um, the scene as realistic as possible. So my subject is large, so I like the photograph to be yes. large as well yes. and so you can immerse into the photograph A lot of the buildings that you photograph as I said are kind of buildings that we see every day but when I looked at the photographs that you had in your studio although I recognised them I was challenged to know exactly which building they were. Wh which buildings locally in Dunedin did you photograph? Well I've done quite a few um, places like Pack and Save, The Warehouse, Bunnings, um, Scenic Hotel, uh, John Wycliffe House, just sort of buildings that you see every day. But with the composition and getting close and just choosing certain aspects, um, separate it from its surroundings and then it's ambiguous as to... Mm where it's actually So shot. it comes about the form and the structure exactly, rather yeah. than the commercial purpose of the building. Absolutely. There must be some challenges in being able to photograph buildings like that. I mean, not getting run over by a truck springs to mind as being one well, of those yes. challenges. Um, for, yeah, like you say, finding the viewpoint is one of the most important parts of the photograph because the viewpoint makes the composition. Mm, mm. Um, so I'll see buildings pretty much every day from walking or driving but you're never in the right position so you have to think about where do I actually have to go to get the right viewpoint yeah so that's a big part of the work before it even 
Yeah. Starts. And are there things that you do in post-production to render the building, you know, again, more about the form rather than the commercial use to which the building is put? Um, well, there's um, work I do with the perspective of architecture. Mm. So um, what what you could used to be able to do in a large format camera was use the movements to change the shape of the image, which you can now do digitally. So making parallel lines and making the shapes of the building more realistic mm. than what was actually in the mm. photograph. Mm. And so I it's about making making it more real, yes. making it more like what it is in real life. And do you sometimes Photoshop off branding and things like that? Yep. Yeah. So um, any sort of distractions from the form or the composition I will digitally remove. Mm. You've talked about the digital doofering about, for want of a better, more technical expression, with your photographs. You think you also sometimes use film, don't you? Which, what is the difference, if you like, from a photographic perspective between those two options? Um, well, they have a quite a different feel, and obviously you, it's different work doing the different um, ways of doing it. Traditionally, with film, um, there's a lot more planning and work and getting the right exposure um, and then it's analogue mm. so has a different feel it's more and with modern technology with digital it's so clean and mm. sharp crisp. and crisp mm. um, it feels almost too perfect yes the film has that nice analogue feel um, but, um, sort of grimier, isn't it? It is a bit grimier. Your catalogue includes stunning work taken all over, all over the world, and you've talked about um, being inspired by the countries that you've travelled to and pushing your boundaries. How has being stuck in New Zealand over COVID um, affected you as an artist? Um, well, obviously, yeah, it's been a few years since I've been able to go anywhere. So it's made me focus and use what's here. Yes. Um, and what we were saying earlier about simplifying and getting closer to things um, and being a bit more abstract with, mm. with the work. That's been a result of it. Um, a lot of the work I've done, say in Hong Kong, I've photographed buildings in their environment and they already have a grand scale, which is what I'm looking for in my work. New Zealand and especially Dunedin doesn't have that vast architecture um, so I get closer to it um, and make more abstract mm. photographs. So I've seen some of the photographs that you've done in that time and, and can I just say for the benefit of listeners they are fabulous. Do you have another exhibition planned Murray? Um, I don't have a definite exhibition yet but there will be something some, maybe later in the year or brewing. early next year. Well, we I think once a year is good in January was the last one so maybe towards the end of the year or early next year excellent well we'll look forward to seeing what you have in store for us then murray thank you for joining us on sightlines today thank you very much our next guest is rachel hope allen rachel is well known as the principal lecturer and studio coordinator of photography at the otago polytechnic school of art but she's also a graduate of the school having completed her master of fine arts with honors in 2013. 
She's an established artist who has exhibited both in New Zealand and internationally, and we are delighted to have her in the studio today. Rachel, welcome. Thank you. Now, on the subject of exhibitions, I'm going to dive right in here and give you a chance to shamelessly plug your current exhibition. Uh, Where is it and how long? It's on at RDS Gallery, and it's open every Wednesday, Thursday and Friday from 11 till 5. And it is fabulous. And the title of the exhibition is Not Just Another Shinjuku Love Hotel. So we're going to come back to your exhibition shortly, but first I wanted to ask you a bit about your background, because this fabulous exhibition is the latest of a number of successful and memorable exhibitions for you. And I think the last was the work you exhibited at the Auckland Festival of Photography last year. In your personal statement for this latest exhibition, you say, as a darkroom alchemist, an apographer, a collector and purveyor of snippets of light, I engage with different modes of image production while acknowledging and subverting their associated values. What is your work about, Rachel? What's your objective? So the um, work that was up in Auckland was from a series called Inbred and Spoon Fed and it was sort of talking about how we have come to make creatures that rely on us heavily. So it had to be a series of moving images and also still images and I took five of my photographs that I had pulled from different devices and uh, put different kinds of applications on them to mimic uh, in particular um, first generation darkroom techniques so the tin types, the amber types um, these images all had the symbols or signals that referred to the early photographic ways Okay, so there's highly technical real photographer geek stuff going on here isn't there? Definitely Yeah, yeah Some of the photographs in your back catalogue involve some quite marginal subject matter that's suggestive of some challenges, I think, in capturing those images. Tell us something about the more interesting things that you've done in pursuit of your objectives. Well, where do I start? I think I came to photography from a sculptural background and in that sculpture background, very much a performative uh, way of creating images. So my first master's exhibition was actually about me turning myself into a hand-knitted toy. So I taught for a year and a half with ears, a tail and mittens and would refuse to acknowledge that I had these things and went about my daily life uh, with ears, tail, mittens, swimming in the pool, going to the groceries. But that's perhaps not even the most sort of bizarre thing that I have done to create images. Uh, My Rescue Annie works, uh, which were born from reading Crash, became more than what they were. I did practice resuscitation on blow-up dolls that actually just turned up in my um, letterbox. Some benefactor knew that I needed Rescue Annie dolls and would deliver them to me on a sort of weekly basis. How kind. (laughs) I never found out who it was, but if you're listening, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. But it did end up, fortunately or unfortunately, getting into a car accident and having to actually be rescued and be in um, a ambulance and they allowed me to make images in there which was really really cool Uh, so that work would not as be as complete without that experience 
And I suppose hiding from mountain lions in an abandoned zoo at two o'clock in the morning in Los Angeles because I wanted to get a certain shot and uh, training my bull mastiff to wear Jesse's and a uh, falconry hood that I had upsized to fit him, which was a lot of love and a lot of um, treats. All in a day's work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes your, your own domestic animals uh, have been the subject of your photography in other ways as well. Can you tell us about that? So the girls, I like to call them the girls. Uh, I did a group show with my friend Jamila um, at the Laurel Project space where the girls first were debuted. Um, are you going to have to tell us what the girls are exactly? <laughs> so the girls are three sphinx cats. Uh, one has one eye, one is was an ex-show queen, and one was a gift from the breeder. They are very, very lovely, very, very demanding, and very, very photogenic. And quite fragile, I think, sphinx cats, aren't yes. they? Yeah. so they can't go outside. They have to wear jumpers and all that sort of thing. They're sounding like absolute princesses. Mm-hmm. And were they the subject of one of your exhibitions? Have you got some photographs of them in some of your work? Or Yes. Yeah. So at, um, it was called no, Not Fit for Export, and it was a series of works of... Myrtle in particular, uh, sunning herself. And then I, with help from someone, created a video of uh, Maud needs to have her chin excavated on a regular basis. And we borrowed a special camera that had been bought to uh, film uh, hummingbirds. So it did really, really, really slow motion. And we filmed the evacuation of her chin uh, grease and spots and it turns out to be this amazing blooming almost like pearl like substances mm, yeah mm. absolutely fascinating stuff i want to turn now to your current exhibition at rds at not just another shinjuku love hotel we're just going to get another wee plug in there just because we can you have an absolute love affair uh with japan so so tell us what's that about There is something special about Japan, and I don't want to sort of wax lyrical about how much I feel at home there, but I do. There is something about a sense of anonymity, but then also there is something about the grass, the earth, the people, the light, the honour, all of those things that make up what Japan actually is. Not all of them good, but a lot of them mm. really, really beautiful. And that that absorbs you. When we talked the other day, we were talking about the fact that as you've grown as a photographer and you've become more confident and feel like you've got nothing to prove, and you, you said you used to think that the harder the photo was to take and develop, the better the photo, but that you've now moved away from always adopting highly technical techniques involving toxic chemicals and you're more interested in capturing the image and in people's response to that. And I think that's really evident in this exhibition. How did you take these photographs? Because some of them are quite personal. Mm. How did you achieve that? The use of an iPhone. Um, Love it. It's They're a great little machine that enables you to disappear. People don't know or don't care that you're taking an image. It is affords you to disappear, to be one. It is quick. It is not invasive. 
and it allows people to just feel safe. When people go to Japan, there are certain photographs that people always take and none of your photographs are of those things. Tell us about that. I kind of like the dirty side of Japan. I like the neatly piled up rubbish. I like the light. I like looking behind the door and seeing things that haven't changed for hundreds of years. Mm. You could look just to your left and it would be the perfectly formed cherry blossom or the perfect peach or light falling on a geisha, which you're not allowed to take photos of. But I think the beauty in Japan and especially Tokyo is everywhere. Um, And I think it is in those things that people don't necessarily see all the time. Mm. Mm. So there's a sort of dark underbelly yeah. that can be exposed in a subtle way if you do it right, and that mm. that I think is what you've what you've achieved. I think you've been to Japan how many times? Six times. That's quite a few. It calls to you. Will you return? As soon as I can. <laughs> well, we're very glad today, Rachel, to have caught you in New Zealand and not in Kyoto or Tokyo. Thank you for being on Sightlines today. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Murray and Rachel talk about their work today. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Next month, we'll feature part three of our series on how to collect art with two more local collectors, Ross Grimmett and David Bell. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and our producer, Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan, and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.